Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ, and today I've got another great interview. I interviewed Brandon Rosenthal, uh, who has 12 years of coaching experience. Five of those years have been at the professional level. Um, he's done some things with the Phoenix Suns of the NBA, and he also has seven years of experience at the collegiate level. So he gave some great insight. He talked about how your skill development needs to be uh, organized, how to put together a plan, and also how having a relationship and building trust with players can actually influence their, their development. So this is a good one. Make sure that you take some notes, get a pen, get a pad, get some get some paper, whatever you need to do to take notes, um, because he dropped plenty of knowledge in this one. Um, when the episode is over with, I'll come back on, make a few announcements. But this is the interview I did with Brandon Rosenthal. Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ, and today I have a very special guest. Um, I have a coach with me, uh, Brandon Rosenthal. And, TJ, uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me on the podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's no problem. No problem at all. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. You, uh, yeah. you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your, your coaching journey, and, uh, and, what, and what it is that you got going on today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm actually starting on season 12 here, which is kind of crazy to me. Uh, five of those years have been at the professional level, and then uh, the other uh, seven have been at the collegiate level, Division three, two, and one. And so I've gotten to work with a lot of uh, a lot of really great players, a lot of special players, and some amazing coaches as well. So very fortunate to uh, to be headed into to season 12 here. That's exciting. I was reading your bio. Uh before we jumped on here. And uh, you've had a lot of experience in skill development, uh, scouting and, and things like that. So I'm excited about this. So we can, we can uh, really get into some good conversation about skill development, um, talking about the difference with what you've seen, different trends and, and stuff like that. Uh, so let's jump right in, man. Just kind of tell us what's your definition of skill development and how important is it to the game of basketball for sure and and tj a quick compliment to you i think one thing that you do a great job of doing is separating skill development from player development and and i'll come back to this in a second but like if you just look at the nba every coach is labeled a player development coach you almost see no quote unquote skill development coaches and so I'm excited that we're zeroing in on skill development. We can get into player development too, but I think skill development falls under player development. And, uh, and so my definition of really coaching is aiding in discovery mastery. And, and not to sound really nerdy, but uh, skill development uh, is, again, aiding in discovery mastery, but with like a technical and tactical um, focus and, and with the goal in mind of, um, achieving performance uh, and, and a level of performance that we want our players to have out on the court. So it's, uh, it's something that I think, uh, you know, philosophically speaking, that when we're, when we're working with our players, we want to make it an interactive, a collaborative type of experience. We want it to be fun and explorative. But I think the the big thing is is zeroing in on the technical and tactical piece and, and aiming for uh, mastery. Yeah, um, getting specific, uh, knowing exactly what they need to do, uh, and then being able to apply those 
those skills so they can be successful and ultimately in, in competition in the game. Yes. Um, real quick, do you think it's important for players to be able to fit a system specifically, or is it best for that player to develop the skills to where they can say, okay, I could fit in this particular system or this particular system? That's a great question. I think big picture wise in favor of the players, you want them to be able to fit into any system. I think you will see most college coaches recruit to their system. You'll see most uh, general managers try to put together a team that, uh, you know, again, you're looking at strengths and weaknesses of players, but I think from a skill development perspective and what we want to try to help our players with, is to zero in on uh, helping players to be able to play for any coach in any system, uh, be able to be successful in any given situation that kind of comes their way in a game. Yeah, I know with me specifically, I get players of all different ages, all different skill levels, and playing all different types of, of offenses, and coaches have all these different philosophies. So with me specifically, with me being just a trainer and not a coach of a particular team, I have to give players many different layers and say, okay, your coach in middle school may be completely different from your coach in high school. Uh, Plus we know when working with youth, you may be six foot in seventh grade and you may be a post player. When you get to high school, you may be six two and be a guard. So when I try to work with players, I try to work with them on general skills. And then if they're getting ready to go into college, and the coach, and they know that they're going to play a particular position or they're going to have a particular role, then we try to get a little more, a little more specific. Um, so you, you said something, sorry to jump in there, TJ. You said really, something that I think was so cool. You talked about the different layers <clears throat> that you have to go through when you're working with, with players. And I think if I could make any recommendation to any skill development coach, I think the, the thing that skill development coaches do a great job of, and, and again, to give some context to it, and you might have, you've probably been in this situation before, you know, communication is a two-way street. And so the hope would be that you're communicating with the high school coach, the college coach, the professional coach, um, and it's going both ways because everybody is on the same everybody has the same game plan, which is to ultimately help the player be successful. And what has helped at the professional level is sometimes that go between person is the agent. Uh, Sometimes it's a, uh, it's a family member. Sometimes it's just building a strong relationship with that player. And so, you know, all the important people within that player's circle. And for a lot of players, the trainer is an important piece. And sometimes again, uh, it may, when, as you know, when you get into the season, sometimes the trainer's role can really change. Sometimes it's just being positive, being a motivator. Right. Uh, sometimes just being a, a sounding board for the player. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes those workouts can be very simple and it's really just to help the player feel good about himself. And, and I think part of that is for a, for a trainer to know that's going on, for a coach to know that's going on, it always comes back to communication and, and knowing where you're at in the season and know, knowing where, uh, what that player really needs at that time and, and in that situation. And, and to piggyback off that, I'm going to tell you, I would say 95% of the kids that I work with, when their parents contact me and I'm talking to them about their son or daughter, about 95% of them would say that, that they're lacking confidence. Yep. 
And so I have to spend a lot of time when we're in practice letting them understand that skill development is a process. It is a journey, you know, and it's so it's going to take time. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, to be vulnerable out there on the basketball court when we're working on, on something. But ultimately, when you talk about being that sounding board or working on their mind, I mm. think that that sometimes is forgotten when you're working in skill development because nobody wants to make mistakes. Nobody wants to be viewed as a failure. So when you're a, a an elite level high school player and everyone tells you you're doing good, you're great, you're this, you're that, and then if you actually get with a a trainer or coach that's really breaking your game down and showing you holes in your game, you got to be you're going to be vulnerable. So you you have to be able to understand I'm making these mistakes, but it's for the for the greater good, I guess you can say. And you're you're so spot on, TJ. Like I I think. And that's where the value of a trainer can come in so much more so than maybe a coach. I think a coach is so focused sometimes on a team mm-hmm. and what the team needs, where a trainer and, and you used something that was really cool, like talking about being vulnerable, like skill development should be based around being completely vulnerable and exploring. And we know that there's no growth without challenge. There's no growth without failing. Um, you know, it, it's no different than working on your biceps in the weight room, right? Like <laughs> you got it. So, so it's, it's the same, same thought process. And for a lot of players, their defensive mechanism is that they're, you know, they're not going to step outside of the boundaries of what they're comfortable with. And so sometimes putting a player with their trainer where they are comfortable, there is a level of trust. They're willing to try new things. They're willing to explore. They're willing to create those are the things that I think the great coaches are also able to push onto players and build up their confidence to have uh, the confidence to explore and try new things. And I think that's why you get a lot of players that always want to go back to their trainers is, is it builds up the confidence or it allows them to try something new. And if they fail, it's not in front of the head coach who controls their minutes or it's not in front of the media. Who's, who's then going to share that information out to the public and now they're criticized. And so that's, that's where, again, I think full circle, it always just, again, comes back to everybody having to be on the same page. And I know you talk about this a lot is just, is having a plan for a player. Yeah. Um, and that comes down to relationships. Yes. And it comes down to uh, building that trust, you know? So um, if you're a high level player, especially like I'm sure you saw this at, at the, at the pro level, um, a player has to trust you. You know, um, so you have to build that relationship, let them know that you have their best interests at heart. So they have to trust you to be able to really give your all and, and like we said, be vulnerable. Um, so when you work with players, what is your philosophy when it comes to skill development? Do you, are you a little uh, more simple, old school, as I like to say? Um, are you a little more innovative or do you try to do it in between? Do you do whatever it takes to get that player's attention and get them to, to see where they need to go? What, what exactly is your philosophy when it comes to skill development? Great, great question. I don't have a philosophy that I can use or summarize in, uh, in one sentence here, but what I'll tell you is, is maybe I'm more new school from the standpoint that I think context is everything. And I think it comes down to, what are you looking to achieve? What is your purpose of that workout? And it changes every single day. Uh, big picture wise, you have a plan, 
you have a big picture plan for the player uh, and, and for your relationship and what you guys are looking to achieve together. But then you have short-term plans and you can't be afraid to pivot from in the middle of that workout to even where something may happen within the season. Maybe a player goes from being an end of the bench player or a role player to now being a starter. And so all of those different pieces uh, kind of play into it. And so I think, again, going back to answering your question, I go into every workout with the mindset of uh, here's some things that I know we need to work on and we need to get better at. And we're going to start here and then we're going to see where it goes. And that's where a little bit, I, you know, it helps to have some experience. It helps to uh, have a relationship with the player. It helps to uh, trust your, your knowledge. But at the end of the day, there's, I want the player to be in the best place possible for him to perform when it comes to a game. And so I think skill development in season, which uh, I do believe should happen and can happen and uh, should be a big piece of a player's development, to me, though, can be very different than what might happen in the summertime or can also change and evolve based on what the player's role is as well. So to me, there's no cookie cutter way of doing any of this. Uh, there's no perfect blueprint. You know, every workout I've ever had with a player has been actually really different from just that individual player or from one player to the next player. And there's, there are some uh, pretty standard things. Like I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent on, uh, you know, for example, like form shooting. Um, you know, the reason I'm a big proponent on form shooting is, is I want to build confidence or I want to zero in on one, uh, technical skill. For example, maybe the player struggles with, um, getting his wrist all the way back on his shot. And that's like the perfect place for us to get five perfect reps. And if we need to cognitively load, um, or challenge the player, we can say, Hey, you got to make three swishes in a row from you know, right in the middle of the paint before you can take a step back. And they call that airless shooting in the skill acquisition world. And that's, that to me is, is what, you know, is what being a um, skill development coach is all about is, is trying to figure out how we can help players um, again, be, be at their very best when their best is needed. Yeah. A couple of things I, I, I took away from what you were just saying. Uh, Mike Procopio, Yes. Uh, skill development coach with, with the Mavericks. He always talking about stopping and correcting. Um, and that is something that I always make sure to do when I'm working with a player. I could work, I could write out a, a whole session of what we're going to do. And very rarely do I make it through everything that's on that, on that sheet of paper, because that could be something that, that, I see or we see that they need some more attention on. So if there's a, a parent or a player or a coach that's listening, you, you can't be afraid to stop and correct. You can't be afraid to pivot. You can't be afraid to, to make some changes um, on the fly. So, um, and then the other thing you were talking about, isolating the skill. Um, I've been working with a player that was trying to improve his shooting. Left hand gets involved in the shot too much. And for about the past three weeks, yesterday was the first time we actually shot outside the lane. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, isolating that skill, trying to get him to understand this is how you need to shoot. We got to make some changes. He's going into junior high, so he's got to try to make some changes on the shot if he want to take that next that next step. 
So uh, isolating that skill, and, and that is something I hear uh, Coach uh, Dave Love talk about a lot when it comes to shooting. Isolating that skill when you when you when you see a flaw, and I use that technique on anything. So it doesn't matter if it's footwork, if it's ball handling, if it's passing. Sometimes you have to isolate it and slow it down, so the player can pick it up, and then you pick back up on on speed. And, and TJ, you said some great stuff in there. I think the biggest thing that a lot of coaches have to remember because right now the big <clears throat> the big push I think in our profession and, and the big conversation is is decision making and mm-hmm. uh, no uh, on-air drills and stuff like that uh, <laughs> part of part of what uh, is so important for through the development process and all of this is you have to have a foundation or like a knowledge base right. so <clears throat> go back to your um, Let's go. I got a couple examples for you. So with stopping and teaching, for example, if, if we had a player that was coming off of a pin down, like we were doing a pin down drill and, and we were working on the footwork and we were working on the shooting, we were working on the setup and, and getting ourselves open. I, the, the most powerful thing that could happen is the player finds solutions on his own, yes. meaning the player comes off the pin down and the first five times he does it, he's not open. And so he's then by on the sixth rep able to figure out, okay, maybe I need to step into my defender. Maybe I need to close space to create space. Maybe I need to do something different and be more physical with my hands. And then he comes off the pin down and now he's wide open. He's like, Oh, that worked. Yeah. And now he goes back on rep seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. And now he's cleaning that piece of it up without the coach stopping it, without the coach saying, hey, don't forget your setup, all this. So the art of us as coaches and as teachers is for us to recognize when a player is figuring out stuff on their own and when they have a good foundation and a knowledge base to work off of, and then when they have no clue that they're doing something completely wrong and they actually think they're doing it right. And a lot of times you see that with shooting, for example. Uh, And this kind of goes back to your shooting example where – you know, I'm a big proponent, like every, every athlete, and you see this in baseball, you see this in golf, every athlete has a signature movement. So in shooting, it's the same way. Nobody's shot looks exactly the same. So we can all try to have Clay Thompson's jump shot. And by all means, it's about his textbook. And I think most people would agree, like that's the right. textbook jump shot. And we want to get as close to that as possible. But you may have physical limitations with the way your wrist bends, the, the power that you have within your lower body, how old you are. There, there's so many different things. There's even a cognitive side of it, like mentally, like you could have imbalances with your brain that could cause you not to be a, a shooter like Clay Thompson. I mean, we can go down a million different paths. And so from that standpoint, part of our job too is to recognize when, again, going back to isolating a skill, when a player is, is either physically limited or just doesn't have the knowledge base where we need to really slow down so eventually we can go fast. Because what ends up happening is if you just roll the ball out and say, let's go, players are going to ultimately find whatever the easiest solution for them is to be successful in that moment, for example. So it's to me, it's not as simple as saying with this player or with, uh, with all players, you have to teach this fundamental skill uh, this way. And then, um, and then not pivot with another player. Like it's, it always goes back to who who is your audience, what is the context, what are you trying to teach, and then what does that player need to ultimately be successful? 
Yeah, relative to the situation that you're in. Uh, every player is different. Players learn different. Um, so we have to be able to adjust. They, they take instruction different. So I have a, a friend of mine that coaches a youth team here in town. And uh, we were talking about another guy that coach and how his communication with those players when they're doing skill development is he's always fussing and yelling and his, his tone is the same. Doesn't matter who the player is, it's the same. And one of the players I was working with were going to their workouts and they couldn't function in that kind of environment. Um, they was afraid, they were afraid. And now, I had to really work on this kid mentally. So whenever they would make a mistake, I would have to tell them it's okay to make a mistake, it's okay to make a mistake. But then when they would go to this other session, when they made a mistake, the person would fuss at them. So they have to understand some kids, I can raise my voice, I can, I can get, it, get at them. Then there's this other kid, I gotta put my arm around and say, hey, you know, it's okay, you're gonna be all right. You know, keep pushing forward. So we have to know our audience, like you said, we have to understand that every situation is different. And so what's the situation we're in or what we're teaching has to be relative to that, to that situation. And you're lucky, TJ, that you have that skill set and that ability. And some coaches don't. Some coaches are one way and they, they can't recognize when uh, when a player needs their, you know, to put or when the coach needs to put their arm around a player or uh, and and kind of goes back to our very the beginning of our conversation like I think that's why for some players working with one skill development coach versus another like I know there's a lot of pro players that go and work with skill development coaches that I think again a lot of the social media world for example would make fun of these coaches and say oh what you're doing is not skill development but at the same token there's a level of toughness or there's a level of confidence that comes out of those workouts and I will take confidence um, and belief in oneself over any skill or any other workout type thing that we could accomplish. To me, confidence is the most important thing a player could walk away with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big, big. And that's something I, that I stress a lot to, to all players that I work with or have worked with or, or even just a kid I may just be talking to. You know, you, you have to have the confidence and the belief that, that you belong on the, on the court. Um, so that's half the battle to me is having that confidence. Um, so let's talk about some skills that players need. Um, I know this is a general statement. Uh, this could be elementary level, it could be high school, it could be college pro, but just just generally speaking, uh, what would you say are some skills that players need to develop? Um, and let's say going up to high school that they need to develop. Um, because we know majority of the players are not going to play on the, on the professional level. Uh, but what are some skills that, that players need to develop going up into the high school level? Uh, and, and after we talk about those skills, let's talk about a little bit how they need to develop those skills. Perfect. You're not going to like my answer to this, but my, my answer is, so as coaches, and really this is, this is anything, from the standpoint that we can train three things. We can train the mind, body, and craft. And so skill development to me falls under that, that craft piece. And within that, uh, basketball to me, if we're, we're making this as simple as possible, it's pass, dribble, and shoot. 
And, uh, and then we're talking about awareness of, of all the things that you can do off the basketball and then what you can do on the defensive end of the, bat, of the floor. And so what we want to do then is find all the skills that are, that fall under each of those categories. So like shooting, for example, where, where do we generate shots? Do we, we can generate shots in transition. We can generate shots coming off of a cut. We can generate shots uh, spacing to the corner. There's all these different ways that we can generate shots. And then what are the, the smaller, minute skills that we need within each of those uh, different categories, each of those different buckets? And so that's how I approach skill development. And I think uh, as we then what we want to do is go back and then start to connect the dots so that when a player gets into a game, they're able to play with the other four players that are on the court with them. I think that's the ultimate goal at the end of the day. Yeah, I was talking with a kid the other day. Actually, I was working with a kid, and we were talking about shooting off the dribble. And uh, I told them a lot of times players have to be able to master a one and two dribble pull-up. And I tell them, if you can master the one and two dribble pull-up, the ball handling aspect can come later because that's to create the space, that's to shift your defender. But if you can shift your defender and can't make a one dribble pull up, you know, you're still gonna struggle. So, uh, and the reason why I say that, because you were talking about the skill and breaking it down. And, and I think that's really, really important uh, for a parent that may be working with their kid or a coach that may be working with kids is instead of sometimes we just look at the whole, we just look at, oh, Clay Thompson can come off of the screen and catch and, and shoot and knock it down, but there are certain details within that skill that needs to be that needs to be taught. Or we try to teach everything, right? <laughs> we try to teach. Yeah. We try to teach the whole menu of things. And we yeah. uh, one thing that I like to tell uh, players, especially like when I was in the G League, was that you know to to make the NBA, you probably need to be the best you need to be in the top 30 in the world in one specific skill so for example you could be like number 16 in the world at on ball defense and there's a chance that you could probably make the nba if all of your other skills are at least just good enough that you can be on the floor so can you make a wide open jump shot can you um, at least make a pass out of this uh, ball screen coverage if you can just do that, then what gets you on the floor and what gets you paid and creates a career for yourself is your defense. And so that's, that to me is, is the approach to take. You don't have to be great at every single thing. Yeah. Uh, now, there's some guys that are pretty elite at, uh, at, at nearly almost every single thing. But that's, that to me is, uh, is, is the biggest thing is what are, what are your strengths? How can we make that? something that you can be your very, the very best at and be something great at. And that also gives you an identity, which allows you to fit into the greater context of a team, which ultimately helps your coach or it helps your general manager know where to, where to place you. And a lot of times I think as coaches, we oftentimes will look at a player and we acknowledge what they can't do instead of what they really can do. And for a player, sometimes that's where, again, the skill development piece comes in to try to figure out, again, how can we continue to raise the bar of your strength? And that's why I love the NBA. The NBA, you're talking about somebody that's already elite at something, and how can we try to make them 1% better every single day and bring it every single season? And how can we also make some of your weaknesses a little bit better so, one, either teams aren't attacking them 
or two, it's just something where, again, we're not always acknowledging it as a coaching staff or as an organization, if that makes sense. Oh, oh yeah. And I know we've been kind of touching on this, um, working out and, yeah. and training. Um, those words sometimes are interchangeable. Uh, I try to, <laughs> I try to keep them separate. Um, but let's t- let's get into some specifics on working out versus training or development. And what I mean by that is, um, I know a lot of players go into the gym, and, and you can get better from working out. You know, if you're picking up the ball and you're going in the backyard and getting up 100, 150, 200 shots, even if you don't have a goal, even if you don't have any direction or a plan, um, if you do it with purpose, you can get better. But let's talk specifically um, about the difference between the two. I look at training or development as having a goal, having an objective, um, an overall goal. That, you know, I want to, you know, uh, get a college scholarship or make the varsity team, and then you can break that down and say, okay, these are the things I feel like I need to do. But let's talk specifically about just from your from your viewpoint or your. Yeah, uh, your thoughts on the difference between working out and training. Well, and again, you hit it on the head. Like I, I do think you can get better just by working out, and I think there's a there's a purity to it, um, a level of getting back to your roots. Sometimes, like sometimes that's what the player needs most. Sometimes, as a skill development coach, the most important thing you can do is just walk into the gym and just rebound for a guy. And sometimes there doesn't even need to be dialogue back and forth. It's just letting a player just kind of feel the basketball out, see the basketball go through the net, whatever it is. Um, but again, for us to move the needle and you just said it, our, our training has to be purposeful. There needs to be a plan in place and there needs to be a short-term plan. There needs to be a long-term plan. There needs to be a plan for a player's career. And, and all of that kind of, uh, feeds into what the purpose of our, our training session ultimately is. So I completely agree with you. I think, uh, it is important to separate the two. I think you need to know, and, and it should, uh, not, not that you want to put a percentage on it, but the majority of your workouts should be probably training focused because at the end of the day, uh, you know, there are no shortcuts to ultimately getting better. You have to put in the work, uh, but we're always looking for, uh, we're always looking for ways to speed up that process. And I think the best way to speed up that process sometimes is, is just making our workouts more purposeful and knowing exactly what we're, uh, attacking and, the cool thing is at the you know at the higher levels is you do have a lot of resources to help you with that whether it's going to your sports scientist who can help you with understanding what's going on with the player's body or the sports psychologist where the player might be mentally um, you may have analytics that you can you you know you use to help kind of direct your your training sessions but uh, for the most part at the end of the day there's no cut in corners it's it's you need to show up uh, you need to put the time and energy into getting better and if uh, if you do that. The thing that I've loved about basketball so far is it typically rewards the people that put in the work. Yeah, and speaking of analytics, uh, for all the players that may be listening, you can develop your own analytics if you take the time to. <laughs> yes. You take the time to write out, you know, um, what shots you're going to take and how many shots you want to make or how many shots you want to attempt. Over time, you will you will see a trend. You will see where you're shooting the ball from different spots and how many you're making on the right wing, or how many you make it from the three-point line. And then you can kind of see where, where you need to continue to improve um, in, your, in your training. Um, so let's talk about preparing or planning and planning for these, for these training sessions. Um, as a coach, um, 
what are some tips or what are some advice you have when it comes to, to planning or how do you plan for, for your session? That's great. Um, and, and that could be a whole separate podcast on its own, I think, to be honest with you, TJ. And uh, I think there's some areas that we could get into where we'd probably want to bring in a couple other uh, guest speakers that could uh, speak more intelligently on the topic. But I, the, the thing that's been helpful for me uh, over probably the last three or four years has been understanding what uh, like the organization's goal is or the team's goal is for that player and the role that they're ultimately that we see them playing and then understanding what the goals are for the player. And a lot of times those don't align. Yeah. Uh, ideally, <laughs> ideally they do, but a lot of times they don't. And that's the challenge. And, and, uh, and players oftentimes are going to go seek the person that will say exactly what they want to, you know, hear back. Uh, but I think really at the end of the day, what we're looking at trying to do here is we're trying to come up with a plan that uh, gets the player onto the floor and helps the player again, like a, probably said about a dozen times here, uh, be successful. And so what goes into a planning process for me specifically is I'm going to look at the, the almost doing like a SWOT analysis. You're looking at the strengths, you're looking at the weaknesses. Uh, but it's also important to reflect back on to some of the other different areas that are touching the player. So that goes back to uh, the phrase that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, which is player development. So I'll give you a specific example and I can kind of walk through how, uh, how a plan may, may come together. So I've been with a player who the organization wanted to fix the upper body of his, uh, of his shot. So his elbow was constantly out on his shot. And go to the weight room and I find out that the player can barely squat with, you know, 245, you know, 245 pound weights on the, uh, on the, on the, on the, on the bar. And so knowing that information and then having a conversation with a strength and conditioning coach about how weak his lower body is, we know when you go to shoot, you need to be able to generate power and rhythm from somewhere. So for the player to ultimately be successful with just shooting, he was going to have to generate power somewhere else within his shot. And what did it ultimately come from? And it was coming from his hitch and it was coming from his elbow being out. And so the only way that we were ultimately going to correct that and the source of the problem was ultimately going to come from maturing as a as a man, but all, and physically, and then ultimately improving a little bit in the weight room, and then at, through that process we could start to self correct uh, some of the stuff that was going out on the basketball court by simply just correcting the elbow. That was not going to fix the problem because now you were going to ultimately create another problem somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And knowing, and then so we have that information that we have to we have to take big steps in developing the player somewhere else besides the court, but also then knowing that some of the things that the organization wants us to fix or the coaching staff wants us to fix, that's going to be a very slow process because we need the, the lower body to catch up essentially to what uh, we need to do to, to improve the shot. But we also need to be aware of some of the shots that he was getting too. So we know that within our offense, he was going to get a lot of corner threes and he was going to get a lot of transition above the break threes. Okay, so then how can we try to make you comfortable in those different positions and shoot at a high level? So the majority of our shots within the workout came from those spots. But we also found, too, that he had, it goes back to your one, two dribble pull up. He had a great ability to catch. Um, the term we were using was stampede catch, catch it and, and attack and get into the paint and rise up above the defense. And so, okay, that was something that he wasn't getting a lot of opportunities in games to do. 
but it was something that we knew if we continued to work on and improve, he could add that to his game and it would be something that organically would uh, open up his game and, and he would naturally start doing uh, on the court. And so that's something we added. It, was, it wasn't necessarily strength of his, but it was something that we added. So our, our focus was essentially, and, and what our planning was based around was, you know, what are your, your physical strengths and, and limitations? Uh, what are your technical and tactical strengths and, and limitations? And where, what do we need you to do on the court for us in the short term? And then where do we ultimately see you getting in the long term and bringing all those together? And that, you know, that's what builds up your, whether it's your 20 minute or 40 minute workout that you may have in season, or um, that also, you know, kind of goes back to what we're going to focus our time and energy in throughout the year with uh, strategically planning, like when, when do you come back to the gym to get up shots or is it more valuable for you to have a great workout in the weight room, um, physically load you instead of having you be out on the basketball court? You know, I think sometimes we get into this world where players, you know, need to work out four hours a day and they need to come back and shoot 250 jump shots at night. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm at the front of the line on some of that stuff, but I think for us to be responsible as coaches and as leaders, uh, and, and helping players ultimately get better, you have to completely understand, you have to have a 360 view of like what's going on in that player's life and what's most important for them, again, to be successful out on the court. And sometimes coming back late at night to shoot, there's more value in resting, there's more value in sleeping, there's more value in, um, you know, coming in and, hey, maybe it's just shooting some free throws. But again, that effort to come to the gym could be taken away from what we ultimately want the player to be doing. So there's a, there's a lot of different layers, as, uh, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, just to um, to add to what you were just saying about the, the working out, I think we sometimes see what other players are doing. And, you know, Kobe Bryant was very successful at, at his 666 workout, six hours a day, I believe, six days a week for six months. Sounds that's, awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's crazy. But Kobe Bryant put himself in a position to be able to do that. Um, and so when I see people, especially high school kids or maybe even some college kids trying to trying to do that same thing, your body is not ready for that type of regimen. Um, so yours may need to be a one one one, you know, instead of a Correct. six six six. Correct. You know, so um, again, it goes back to 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 it being relative to the situation that you're in. Um, it's great to be able to do things like Kobe Bryant or train like LeBron James or Michael Jordan. They can set the bar, but at the same time, you have to set the bar for your expectations, your responsibilities, and what you have going on in your life. And the other thing real quick was uh, you were talking about an assessment. You know, uh, I used the analogy of like using a GPS. You know, uh, we have a certain destination we want to get to, um, but we first have to know where we are so we can plan out how we're going to get to our destination. Well so if we don't know where we are, um, we might end up on our wrong route. You know, we could be trying to go to LA, but end up in Chicago, you know? <laughs> so, so we got to know where we are and then uh, that'll help us get to our, help us reach our destination. So just real quick, uh, a player that may not have a, a, a coach or a trainer, how can they kind of prepare, prepare or plan their their training sessions man what that's awesome that that's a great question and and those are the kids that uh i love to try to help any way i can um 
And, and I think to, for them, it's, it's probably finding a routine and it's probably finding a routine in, in as many areas of their life as they can. And your routine on the court, you know, it's, uh, you know, again, we're, we're talking about uh, shooting, passing, dribbling, you know, working, working on those skills individually. Uh, I think developing a shooting routine for yourself, I think is really important to have. That's usually the first thing I do with any rookie that I'm working with uh, at the NBA level is to talk about having a shooting routine, a, a, a routine that builds a level of confidence for themselves. Part of that routine may have uh, specific weaknesses that we want to ultimately improve, but a big portion of that routine is going to be focused in on their strengths. And, it, and again, at the end of the day, it's to make them feel good. It's to, uh, it's to see the ball go through the net as much as possible. But I think having that routine gives them a starting point for every workout as well. And it says, okay, I checked this. It's no different than waking up and brushing your teeth in the morning, making your bed in the morning. It just kind of gives you a spot to say, okay, I, I accomplished this. I know it made me better. Uh, I know it's going to set me up. It's, it's building the foundation of your house, essentially. You know, you can't, uh, you can't start building, building other parts of the house until you lay the foundation. And that's, that to me is one of the places that you start is whatever your routine is. A lot of guys have their own ball handling routine. And again, I, the thing that I want to point out is, and I know I'm contradicting myself, but I, there, there is, and this is, there's a lot of research too that supports this, that a lot of sometimes what you see on Twitter and social media on TV, what you see the NBA players doing, they, they had, there's context to what they're doing. There's a specific reason to it and there is purpose to it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that everybody else should go copy it. It doesn't mean that everybody else should say, Hey, that's the best way to improve X, Y, and Z. Um, I've been around some NBA players that legitimately can't two ball dribble. And, and I've been around some NBA players that people will argue that, they might be some of the best ball handlers in the world and they can't two ball dribble. But then I've also been around some players that two ball dribbling gets them warmed up. It makes them feel good. Uh, and you know, it is what it is. And so for, for people to argue uh, one way or the other, that one is so much greater than the other, or you should only be doing one versus the other. Again, it goes back to context. And I think it goes back to the purpose of what your two ball dribbling is for or what your one ball dribbling is for. Yeah. I think it's really important that if I know this may be difficult at times, but we have to understand why a particular player is doing a certain drill. Right. And if if you're with a team and you're working with a player, uh, you're probably working with that player to do something specifically within your within your system. And it may look really cool, or it may be the most boring drill there is but there's a reason behind that. And then I think once you, as if I'm, if I'm viewing you, if I'm just watching you, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram, any other social media, I have to try to figure out why you're doing that drill. Then I have to figure out if that drill can fit the player that I'm, that I'm thinking about trying to perform that particular drill. And it may not work. It may not be a fit. Uh, no matter how cool it is, it doesn't matter how many likes you get, you know, it has to fit. Um, and like you say, like, there may be some players that can't do two-bar drills and there's some that can do them really well. Um, but it has to be specific to what you're trying trying to accomplish. And there are situations, TJ, where you, you slowly try to work maybe a routine or something that a player does out of 
I should say, out of their routine, like a specific drill or something like that. And part of that may be sometimes you're brutally honest. You just say, hey, this is not what we should be doing right now and let's move away from it. Or it's, okay, let's, let's do this, but let's just do a, you know, fewer reps of it. And so part of that is what our responsibility as coaches are. And that's why it's important for us to have basketball conversations. That's why it's important for us to uh, watch other people work out and learn from what other people are doing. Because again, it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, just being as efficient as possible with your time and what you're putting your energy into. Because again, you know, we, we only have so much time in our day and we only have so much time as well where we're going to be able to focus and work out. And not all of us are built like Kobe Bryant. And so if, if a guy is only going to have an hour in the gym, you want that hour in the gym to be the most valuable and the most purposeful as possible. And so cutting out a lot of the extra stuff can be really important. All right. So we know that skill development, actually on-court skills, is just one part of actually making a complete player. So I feel like there is film study, basketball IQ, sports performance, and of course, nutrition, all that plays into how a player can perform onto the court or on the court. So let's start with, with film study um, and just how that can play a part in skill development and helping the player take that game to another level. I think film study is probably the second or third best thing you can do after actually working with a player on the court and ideally film study of the player themselves. If, uh, if not another player or another uh, scheme that you want to use for an example, uh, I think really at the end of the day, what film provides is a platform for discussion. And I think the discussion piece is, is so critical. And we've alluded to the, the level of communication that needs to take place, not only between skill coach and player, but all the other people around uh, the player. And so communication is everything. And I think with what, makes the where you can really use film to your advantage is either a building up a player's confidence or making a point that you may not want to make in the game or within a workout the other thing you can do with film as well which I think really helps on the defensive side of the ball is helping make a player aware of what's really going on on the floor so defensively I think like one of the big questions that always gets brought up is how do you incorporate defense into skill development well um I think outside of maybe the the physical responsibilities of the defense and having pride and having uh, the burning desire to actually defend, most players physically can do it. Sometimes it's either they lack the awareness of what they're supposed to be doing or they just don't want to do it. it so, yeah. yeah, so all the above. So sometimes, though, I think the big trick of uh, helping players, especially at the highest level, is uh, improving a player's anticipation. And usually when you walk through a film study, you can really dive deep into, okay, when you see this dribble handoff going on on the strong side, you know on the weak side, you're probably going to need to be up in the next action you're going to be involved with. So for you to be standing straight up or for you not to be already starting to move up towards where the basketball is going to be is going to put you a step behind. So those are the types of conversations you can have with the player. And, and now when they start to see that on the court, it happens. Uh, they execute the coverage properly. Now you're showing that clip later on um, to the player the, the next morning or maybe later that evening. And you're able to say, look, you figured it out. This was the situation we were talking about. And you did it the right way. And I think that's what ultimately empowers the player 
uh, and that's that's what you know that's where you start seeing a level of improvement take place. On uh, let me ask you another quick question on on film study. When you're looking at film with a with an individual, I know it's different when you're looking at it from a team aspect, but when you're looking at it from an individual individual, um, are those sessions you know shortened to the point? 15, 20 minutes max, 10 minutes max. Um, you know, how, do, how does that go about when you're doing with just one particular player? Just like we talked about uh, with workouts, it is different for every single player. Uh, I've tried a lot of different strategies, and I usually will try as many strategies as I can until I find what works. Some guys I can sit there with, and we can actually watch – and people would say this is crazy and you shouldn't do this, but – we could watch 20 minutes of film. There's some guys I can actually watch a full game with and it's productive and, and everybody's engaged and there's great communication and we get out of it what you should get out of it. If you're going to put that much time and energy into it, there's other players that it's, it's gotta be, you might only get three to five clips in. And so I've tried a lot of different things from sending film the night before and then the next morning having a discussion about it. There's some players that, really struggle to handle uh, kind of the negative comments or the teaching points that might be made on film. And so those, those points need to be made in person. So there's more context and you can explain uh, exactly the point that you were trying to make. And there's more evidence instead of the player only seeing what he really wanted to see on film instead of, uh, instead of, you know, just assuming what, uh, what the coach was saying. So there's a lot of different directions you can go with it. I think one thing to understand too is sometimes players don't know exactly what they're supposed to be watching. I had a player that um, we were watching film on a pretty consistent basis together. And I think with our travel schedule, he just said, Hey, go ahead and just, you know, send me the film. And so I sent it to him. And then we did that for like two or three straight games. And then he came back to me and he's like, I don't really know what I'm looking for sometimes. Yeah. And so, and instead of, you know, otherwise I have to write out a full paragraph on the, on the film to make the point. So it just became one of those things where we needed to carve out time, no matter what, uh, to watch the film. And, and because the travel piece of it, uh, you know, I'd still usually send the film ahead of time and they could watch the film and then we'd just go back and we'd watch it a second time, but it was together. And then that way the player could ask questions and I could ask the player questions. What were you seeing here? What were you thinking? What, what felt right? What didn't feel right? Do you agree with what we're doing here? Do you want to do something else? And, and so that's, that's one of the best places I think to sometimes have that dialogue. Um, we know that film can improve a player's basketball IQ. Um, we know that the IQ can improve in a team setting, um, but in a skill development setting, what are some things that, that you like to do to just to try to challenge a player and get their IQ up to a level to where they can make quote unquote good decisions on the, on the, on the basketball court. It's imagery. It's, it's having conversations about it. It's uh, you know, again, I think what's really important is to get across the purpose of what you're doing on the court. So if we're working in, you know, let's say it's just a one player workout and we're working on ball screen reads uh, you know, and ideally you'd have, you know, another person uh, involved. You got one passer and one rebounder, but now instead when they're, when the player's coming off the screen, they have somebody to pass to in the corner. And is it really game-like from the standpoint that there's no defense on the floor? Absolutely. It's not, but at least now they're knowing where they're supposed to check. Um, there's been some cool studies like about eyesight and vision. And, and one thing that, uh, that I really like to tell point guards is scan the floor. 
And like, if you just did this by yourself right now, you look into, you know, the right corner of the room, then you look into the left corner of the room and then you look straight ahead. You can see your, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, but your, uh, your perception of the room now changes. You can almost scan it and you can see it a lot better from one end to the other end. So I talk about that with the players all the time. So when we're doing a drill, like coming off of a screen, uh, in pick and roll, we may specifically say like, continue to scan the floor, see the floor. And now we're thinking about something that hopefully when they get on the court, it's automatic. They're bringing the ball down the floor and they're, they're already scanning the floor. They're checking the right side, the left side of the floor, and then they head into the pick and roll. And now visually they've already gone through their checkpoints to say, okay, Oh, this player just moved out of, out of place. That's the open guy. And so it's, it's just starting to that process of all those different triggers uh, that we'd want a player to have. So uh, yeah, we, it, a lot of different layers to it, <laughs> like you alluded to earlier. And a lot of, uh, you know, I think, our language that we use with players is so key. I think uh, cueing, for example, I would encourage coaches to study what cueing means. Um, and, you know, whether it's important to use an internal cue or an external cue, I think studying other sports, for example, in terms of how cueing impacts, uh, you know, for example, in baseball, I think there's a lot of analogies that we can use from baseball that actually help us in basketball. And so when you get on the court and you start using those different cues, not only will it help you through that workout and assist with kind of that decision-making process, but then it ultimately helps in the game because you can drop those quick one-liners maybe during a timeout or you can yell them from the bench. Uh, there's little things that you can do to help trigger the memory of a player so that he knows what, what he should be doing or what might be coming up next. Uh, scanning the room. So uh, when I'm working with point guards, I, I, well, actually any player, but I love working with point guards. That's the position I play. But I tell them all the time there's a difference between playing with vision and playing with your head up. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times we tell players to play with their head up. <clears throat> excuse me. We tell them to play with their head up, but we're not telling them to play with vision. And it's totally different. Um, I, I ask players all the time, I'm sure you've seen a player or played with a player that dribbled right down the court, their head is up, and you're open in the corner or underneath the basket and they don't pass it to you. Not necessarily because they're being selfish. A lot of times because they don't have the vision. So um, we have to make sure when we're, when we're talking with the players and we're working with them and developing them that they understand vision. Um, I work with a lot of youth, middle school, junior high, high school, young high school players, and they have a hard time using their imagination. You know, yep. talked about imagery. They, if, if I don't have five other players on the court, they have a hard time visualizing, you know, and so I had to tell them, okay, I'm this help side defender right here. And this is, you know, what am I supposed to do when you drive? Okay. Now I'm going to switch over to being your, your teammate, you know, so you have to try to come up with different ways to help them try to visualize what it is and, and things that they may actually see um, in the game. And, and sometimes with, with youth basketball players and you have way more experience than I would in this category, but like, sometimes they don't need to necessarily understand the depth of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just providing a little help defense, maybe you just stunted the basketball. So now all of a sudden the player or the, uh, you know, the male or female is working on understanding like their, their space in regards to where a help defender might be. And they don't need to understand why you're standing there, but maybe that just makes them a little bit more aware with how far over they can go when they drive the basketball or not to, keep constantly changing side by side or whatever it may be. I think 
that's what's so important about us as coaches is having a full understanding of what we're trying to get accomplished and how it fits into the bigger scheme of, of an offense or a defense, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, just like you said, with layers, that may be a layer. And then yep. and also it depends on their age and their all that different stuff. And, you know, you have sometimes you have players that can comprehend things uh, as a sixth grader that some high school kids can comprehend. It just, just depends. But then you have some sixth graders that just – you have to keep it really basic. So, again, it goes back to, to uh, the player and, and what it is you're trying to accomplish. And how cool is it that, like, my – you know, I, I get into this debate with coaches all the time. Like, sometimes you run into a player, especially elite scorers, mm-hmm. and we say, oh, they're selfish. They can't pass. They don't see the floor. And sometimes it's they don't even have the awareness. They're so zeroed in on scoring and trying to make the play for themselves or – make a play with just the uh, the screener that's involved in the action that like that is their actual weakness and that's what we actually need to improve upon and so that's where again it goes back to your film or it goes back to the imagery or it goes back to having conversations that are relevant to just one or two simple areas that we need to improve and sometimes for really great scores it's just the awareness that one of the other places you need to check is in that opposite corner because a lot of times that's where somebody's rolling over or shifting over to try to help and tag on the screen, and that's that's the guy that's going to be open. And a lot of times, great scores are so good they don't even see that guy, and they don't need to see that guy. Right. That's a strength too, and that's where again we have to have appreciation for the different skill sets that players bring to the floor. So let's talk about sports performance real quick. Um, when I was a kid, I used to hate. Growing up, I hated. My days trying to make me do push-ups go to the gym, lift weights. Um, and it really wasn't a priority for me until, until like my senior year in high school. Um, but let's just talk about how, how you have to take care of your body. Basketball is a contact sport. Um, you have to be able to take the, the physicality of it, the, the bumps, the pushing, the, the just, just the, the weight of the game. Uh, so just talk about how the players that you coach at the collegiate level and at the pro level, how serious the elite players specifically take care of their body and prepare for the game. Well, the most popular buzzword I think in our industry right now is load management. And so taking care of your body is, is the end all be all. And it's the end all be all from a lot of different levels from the standpoint that if you uh, aren't available to play, your you know, availability of the team is probably the most important thing being available, being able to be on the court, being able to be at your very best. The other piece in all of that as well is for players now, and I think this is why the load management piece has come to the forefront from a player standpoint, is you're looking to extend your career. And for a lot of players, what they don't understand is from your, you know, let's say from 17, 18, or 18 years old to 21, 22, you might be able to get away with not having to really take care of your body. But where that ends up hitting you on, is on the back end when you get to be 25 and now all of a sudden your career is cut short because your body's just completely beat up and it doesn't withstand any, uh, any of the, the level of competition anymore and what you have to put your body through to be competitive. And so I think it's different for all players in terms of how they learn to manage their body. Uh, the biggest thing that I've come across is, is sleep might be the most important thing, getting uh, eight hours at minimum, ideally to 10 or 11 hours if you can squeeze it in. 
But that usually ends up being what hurts players in the long run, especially at the higher level is they, you know, at 21, they're able to party. They're able to play on four or five hours of sleep and still in their eyes be effective. You know, it's hard to tell a player that, you know, scores uh, 45 points in a game and, and slept four hours the night before that, you know, hey, you need more sleep. Right. You need more sleep. Well, hey, coach, this is what I just pulled off last night. And, and you know, to their point, they're, they're not necessarily wrong, but we're also not looking at just the short term. We're looking at long term what this could mean. And I think the scary thing that I would also caution, especially parents uh, and, and young athletes, is to make sure you do your research. I think there's a lot of uh, new tools and new equipment that you can use to try to, again, circumvent the um, recovery process. I think you got to look at it. Are you trying to have a short-term recovery or are you trying to have a uh, long-term recovery? Sometimes long-term recovery is simply just going to bed early and getting off your feet and eating right. And that'll take care of everything you need to. And you don't need to be investing all this money in, you know, what, again, what looks like from the outside are these really successful tools and products where if you're playing a back-to-back or maybe you're playing in a, you know, an AU tournament and some of those tools would be valuable. But uh, again, I would just encourage people to do their research on it. And, and it's something that as much as we're talking about having a skill development uh, plan, you need to have a um, recovery plan in place as well. And then the last one, everybody loves, everybody now is on a, is on a tight schedule. So we always try to find something quick to eat, you know, whether it's a fast food restaurant or find some type of sweets. Um, I know when I was in college before the game, uh, I grabbed me a payday or a snicker bar <laughs> and eat before the game. Um, just kind of talk a little bit about the importance of having a, a being able because what you put in your body is very, very important. Absolutely. Um, so just talk about a little bit about your thoughts on. on it goes music. back to uh, player development. Like everything is interconnected. So if, your diet isn't on point in your uh, sleep schedule isn't on point that's going to directly impact what's going on on the court and that's also important from a skill development standpoint as coaches like I can't tell you how many times a player has gotten on the court and the coaching staff starts to complain about the player and the lack of focus or the lack of uh, productivity and again the problem isn't necessarily directly to the player as much as it is to what the players off the court habits are or what he was doing before he got into the workout. And so that's why, again, it's just so important to have an all-encompassing plan from, as you mentioned, your recovery plan or what your strength and conditioning plan is to taking care of your body to how your, uh, your, what your diet looks like uh, all the way up into like how you're taking care of your mind and how you're again, uh, getting your place into a positive uh, space and staying positive through the ups and downs and, how you manage your emotions. Uh, there's a lot of things that I think as coaches we miss, and I don't think we need to be experts in those areas, but I think it's important for us to have awareness of them and then to go help the player find an expert to help them, again, uh, regulate their emotions or uh, understand you know, what their diet is specifically doing to their body and why they start a workout off really well and, and why they completely drop off towards the end. I, I remember we had a player uh, – with our team just this past year who was drinking an energy drink uh, literally 40 minutes before the game started. And so we're, you know, 15 minutes into 
the conversation as a uh, as a coaching staff and you know he can't sit still he's he's shaking all over the place and he can't control his emotions and the game starts and his energy level completely takes a huge dip and you're like and you're sitting there and and it's how much of that is on the player how much of that is on the organization how much of that is on the staff for not noticing something like that but at the end of the day like that's where where if your communication's on point, you have a plan in place and you kind of walk through every single thing that the player is doing throughout the day. And again, there's only a handful of players out there that, and I mean, just look at us as coaches, we're not perfect with how we handle our personal lives and how we uh, take care of ourselves sometimes. Unfortunately, some of the most out of shape people are coaches because they don't take care of themselves. They only take care of other people. That's where, again, it's, uh, it's, it's something that we need to kind of reflect on and be aware of that, something that is impacting us off the court, whether it's diet, whether it's sleep, whether it's uh, a psychological issue that that could directly impact or influence what's going on on the court and our problems that we may uh, try to fix on the court. We may just be creating a whole nother problem uh, by not addressing it somewhere else. If that makes sense. Yeah. It makes, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Nutrition is really, really important. I know with me again, working with a lot of youth kids, uh, they're in AAU tournaments, so they're eating things like pizza slices, hot dogs, hamburgers, chips. You know, they're drinking down. Uh, I like being on that diet too. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so um, it's hard to get them to understand that at such a young age, 13, 14, 15 years old, that, you know, it's not the best thing for you, but everything has to happen in moderation. Um, so, you know, but I think it's good for them to have an understanding. The earlier that, that they are, to have an understanding of the effect that this can have on your body, which can in turn have an effect on, on your performance. Um, so, Coach, I have a bonus question for you. This is just a fun question. Uh, you know, you've given a lot of information today, a lot of value, and I appreciate that. Um, so we got a quick bonus question for you. So if you're building your ultimate basketball team, five players, any era, male, female, NBA, WNBA, NCAA, or even a high school kid uh, that, that you might know, um, who, is, who, is your, who is your team? Who's on your team? Who are your five ultimate players? Uh, can we go with uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Kawhi Leonard, and LeBron James, can that can that be my five? Hey, I was waiting <laughs> on that last one. <laughs> I didn't think about it for a second. Can we can we roll that five out and go play a game? I like my. I team. like I like to see that five right there on the court. I I would uh, I'd feel pretty good, feel pretty yeah. good about our chances. Yeah, yeah. Well, Coach Man, again, I appreciate it. Um, let everybody know how they can uh, uh, follow you on social media, and. Uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach Rosenthal is my Twitter and uh, Instagram handle. And I also uh, am heavily involved with Rising Coaches. So if uh, people want to reach out, they can go either through Rising Coaches or, uh, or go through uh, my Twitter or Instagram handle. All right, so that was my interview I did with Brandon Rosenthal. Uh, I told you all he's going to give some great insight uh, when you're talking about a guy or a coach that's – this has 12 years of experience, five of those at the professional level, you know, when you're in the, talking about the G League and, and the NBA. Um, and he's also got seven years of 
of uh, collegiate experience, you know, there's there's a there's a lot that he's seen and there's a lot that he's learned. So, you know, I, I'm I'm sure that you took some good notes. If you didn't, or if you were listening to this in your car, make sure you go back and listen to it again so you can take those notes. Better yet, what I need you to do is be sure to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe uh, to my podcast, whether it's on Stitcher whether you're listening to it through uh, Apple Podcasts, make sure, you, make sure you subscribe. And also, I need a five-star rating. The, the higher the ratings, the more the ratings that I have, uh, more people will be able to find the podcast and be able to join in and listen and uh, get some great information on skill development. Um, so just like Coach Rosenthal said, you can find him on, on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Coach Rosenthal. That's at Coach Rosenthal, R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Also, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MBNBball. Also, uh, be sure to check me out on my website, tjonesfirm.com. If you need to send me anything, uh, you can shoot me an uh, email, and my email address is info at tjonesfirm.com. And also, don't forget about my book. I do have a book on skill development. It's 10 chapters. It's about 80, 82, 83 pages. It's got some great feedback. Um, Coach Rosenthal is one of those coaches that actually had the opportunity to read my book. Um, if you go to my website, you can see the uh, what he thought about the book himself. And, and there's some other coaches also. So be sure to check that out. If you want to look at my book or if you want information about my book, Go to my website, tjonesfirm.com. The link is at the top of the page. You click on that, all the information come up. I have a paperback available for $9.99 and also the PDF version for $3.95. So be sure to go and check that out. Um, it's also available on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, you type in the Skill Development Playbook, it will pop up. It's uh, available as a paperback and also as a Kindle version. So... Um, that is it. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Uh, be sure to reach out to me, connect with me, follow me on social media. I'm, I'm more than likely I try to follow you back. And if you have any questions or I can do anything for you, again, don't be afraid to reach out and let me know. But until next time, thank y'all and God bless.